Message number F10, The Threefold Lordship of Jesus Christ, was given by the very Reverend Archimandrite Eusebius Stefano, Greek Orthodox priest and founder and director of the St. Simeon the New Theologian Orthodox Renewal Center located in Destin, Florida. This message was given at the second annual Interchurch Charismatic Conference in Fort Wayne, Indiana, October 1974. Very often we, we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what it does for us. It is often said that those who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, who have come into a deeper dimension of the Spirit, should keep their eyes on the giver of the gift, not on the gift. I would like to dwell on that point this morning with a special emphasis on Jesus as the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And how the baptism of the Holy Spirit exalts Jesus as the truth in our life. I think this has happened in your own, own life, it has happened in my own life. That the baptism of the Holy Spirit lifts up Jesus and it makes Jesus come alive in our life. How many of you can say amen to that? Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's just have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Father of mercies, we pray that you would pour your mercies upon us this morning. Forgive us our every sin, Lord. Cleanse our heart and our mind and our soul from every impurity. Open your word to us, Lord. Give us a hearing ear and an understanding heart. We confess our total dependence upon thy Holy Spirit. Dear Jesus, make your presence felt here this morning. And uh, let your Holy Spirit just hover in this place, enlighten the eyes of our understanding, Lord that we may understand that you are the Lord and that the gift of the Holy Spirit is given unto us, Lord, that you might become exalted in our life and in the totality of human society. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. It is the mission of the Holy Spirit to glorify Jesus. The Holy Spirit does not point to himself, but to the second person of the Trinity, to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's mission is to bring the believer into a proper relationship with Jesus Christ. And I would like to turn to John 14, 26, where the Lord speaks explicitly about this. He tells us that the Holy Spirit shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. And then in 
John 15, 26, we read similarly. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. And he also shall bear witness. So the job of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness to Jesus Christ. To make Jesus real to us. And to give us a deeper awareness of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And not to be simply preoccupied with the Holy Spirit as such as an end in himself. Uh, remember when our Lord promised the coming down of the Holy Spirit to his disciples? He said, ye shall receive power from on high, after that the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. And then he follows with the words, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. This is the whole purpose of the coming down of the Holy Spirit, that you might become living witnesses to me, that you might speak to the world and testify to the world unto me. So, the baptism of the Holy Spirit lifts up Jesus and aims at making Jesus preeminent in all things. And I would like to spend some time on this particular point. That Jesus Christ in the plan of God has lordship and sovereignty in every area of human existence. This was the initial plan of God. Once again, I, I repeat that Jesus Christ, the second person, had sovereignty in every aspect of human experience. We read in Colossians 1.18 that in all things he, Jesus, might have the preeminence. And the Holy Spirit seeks to make Christ all in all. We read in Colossians 3.11. But Christ is all and in all. And in the course of my uh, message this morning, I'm going to try to explain what those words mean, that Christ is all and in all, that Jesus Christ is involved, that he's related to everything we do in life, but also to every area of human experience. And I have a diagram here on the blackboard that I would like to go over, try to help you understand how Jesus Christ has lordship in every area of human experience and in every relationship in which man is involved. 
what it means that Jesus Christ is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus Christ is the truth. He is not part of truth, but he is the whole truth. He is not a fragment of the, of the truth. He's not simply one aspect of truth, but he is universal truth. He is the perfect truth. He is the self-same truth. All embracing. This is what the Lord meant when he said that the Holy Spirit shall lead you into all truth. Well, what and who is the truth? Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit leads the believer to Jesus Christ, who is the truth. Know ye the truth, and the truth shall make you free, Jesus said. In other words, Jesus meant, know me, and I will set you free. Jesus also tells us in Revelation 22, 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the beginning and the end. Now, if he's the beginning and the end, he's everything in between, isn't he? If he's the start and the finish, then he's got to be involved between those two points, the beginning and the terminal point. Jesus Christ cannot be excluded. He's not uninvolved in anything we do or anything we pursue in human life. Now, when we say that the Son of God is the truth, we mean that he is the presentation. He depicts reality that is God. God is the reality. He who is. Moses asked God, what shall I tell Pharaoh that who sent me? And God said, tell him that he who is sent you. So God is the being. He who is. The son. The second person is the image of God. And he presents, he reveals, he discloses, he images God. And God wants himself to be perfectly revealed. So his image is perfect. So the Son of God is the most perfect. He's the absolute image of the absolute God. You see, that's why the Son is equal to the Father. Because the Son is the image of God, and the image has to be just as perfect as the being which is God the Father. So this makes the image equal. The image cannot be inferior and less than the prototype which is God the Father. So the truth, which is Jesus Christ, is universal. It takes it everything in a human life. It is all-inclusive. It is comprehensive. And in God's initial plan, I repeat, the second person of the Trinity was to have sovereignty, preeminence, and lordship in every dimension of human experience. And 
mainly, and I break it down, the three parts, in man's relationship with his fellow man, with the physical world, in man's relationship with the physical world, and in man's relationship with God. And to make it a little more explicit and familiar, we can follow this breakdown. On the board I have three basic fundamental areas in which Jesus Christ was to have the preeminence according to God's initial creative plan. Religion, science, government. Now, science here means also philosophy, you could add that. You could also add education. It represents the intellectual area of human pursuit. And then government. These three represent the three basic institutions of every society. Man is basically religious, intellectual, and political. Now, why is this so important? Well, because uh, usually we restrict Jesus to the first, you see. And it has become part of Christian history, unfortunately, tragically, that Jesus Christ has been uninvolved, unrelated with the other two spheres of human endeavor. The result being that Satan has usurped the sovereignty of Jesus Christ in these two areas of human life. Well, he has even in the first, but primarily in the other two. And let's kind of look at this this morning. It's very interesting and very fascinating. I find this a very fascinating field in uh, Christian knowledge, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ as the full truth, as the universal truth. Now these three areas correspond to three institutions, namely the church, or you could put temple, place of church, school, number two, education, school, and thirdly, government, or the capital that symbolizes, these are tangible that symbolize the institutions, in which Jesus Christ was initially to have the sovereignty according to God's initial plan. Jesus Christ meets all three of man's basic needs in his threefold office as priest, prophet, and king. Now, you notice I don't have prophet there, do I? I have the logos. I can explain that. But you could add prophet, where it says logos, just add right after. You're taking down notes. You can add a prophet there. Now, the disobedience and fall of Adam Cause the authority of 
the Logos, the Son of God, will be usurped by Satan. And as a result, what ensued was the following. False religion, worship of false God, imperfect, inadequate sacrifices offered by the different world religions. In other words, Satan was in control of religions prior to the coming of Jesus Christ to the world. Number two, false philosophies. Now we're following this outline. For example, uh, the philosophies of the Greeks, as admirable as their thinking was, nevertheless, they fell short of the truth, didn't they? And whenever we fall short of the truth, then the Son of God, the Logos, is not in control. Satan has the upper hand, because he's the father of lies. So, the knowledge of the world, especially with the Greeks, because the ancient Greeks were very much interested in understanding the world. And they were religious people. They made the divine involved and relevant in their thinking. But what happened? Socrates, they condemned him to the death of the hemlock. They condemned him to drinking the hemlock. You know, it's kind of a prefiguring, foreshadowing of the condemnation of Jesus on the cross. In other words, the Greeks were looking for wisdom. And here was Socrates, who was leading them uh, in an imperfect way, nevertheless, uh, to, to wisdom, and they condemned him because he questioned uh, the tradition of the times, you see, both in religion and in philosophy. Doesn't that remind us of what the Jews did to Jesus? So the knowledge of the world in, among the Greeks, and for that matter, among any people uh, prior to Christ, was service at the service of Satan, not to the glory of God. See, Jesus did not have the preeminence. Praise the Lord. Now, let's come to the third point, government. The states were under the direct influence and control of Satan prior to uh, the coming of Jesus Christ. Well, look at Rome. Look what Rome did. Look what Pontius Pilate did. He could have saved uh, humanly speaking, you know, normally speaking, he could have saved Jesus from condemnation of death. He had the power. He told Jesus, I have the power to condemn you or release you if you like. But uh, what happened? Well, Satan was in control of the government in these days. He did not, the Son of God, not God's truth, not the truth, which is the second person of the Trinity. So, the three ancient cultures, my beloved, Greece, uh, Judea, Greece, and Rome represent the three basic needs of man. Number one, religious need of expiation, of atonement. All pre-Christian people sacrificed. They were involved in blood sacrifices. There was something, a universal conviction in humanity that there was some kind of blood sacrifice, some offering that had to be offered to the deity to satisfy him, to appease him. 
some sacrifice to bridge over the gulf that stood there, that yawned between God and man. Don't you see? Uh, this is evident in, in the study of ancient religions. And yet, they didn't have any particular revelation from God that they should do this, except the Jews had the law. And there were certain rites and forms set down and ordained by God through Moses. But the Judaic religion was a uh, more perfect development, we've seen, of sacrifice and of atonement, but still falling short of the most perfect atonement that was to come later in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Greece and the Greek civilization, Greek philosophy, represents man's need for knowledge of the world, understand the world. This is innate in man. God made man that way to want to understand the physical world in which he lives. And uh, Rome represents man's need for order, for justice, for harmony, you see, so that human society can survive. Don't we talk today about order, law and order? It's an old story. It's in us. We, we crave for law and order. And we want it so badly that someday uh, uh, nations will just turn to that world dictator and we will yield to him completely, you see. He's going to be that substitute for the Lord Jesus Christ when Satan will have a heyday when, in this end time when he will be in control of these three areas, you see. So when we talk about the Antichrist, as being a world dictator, he's not, don't think of him only in terms of, of government. He's going to be a political dictator. No, he's going to take control of all three of these areas of human society and religion too. So the superscription on the cross that Pontius Pilate had placed, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, was not just an accident. And you know what's interesting about it is that it was written in three languages. You know which three? I'll give you three guesses. Yes, that's right. Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. As if God was proclaiming to the world and to all generations that this Jesus that's hanging on the cross is the answer to the three basic needs of mankind, that these three cultures converged in the divine person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise his name. Now, we speak of uh, Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. This is how Jesus meets our religious need. Actually, religion essentially is man's attempt to find the most perfect expiation and atonement. So Jesus came to meet that need, being the Lamb of God. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And Jesus became our high priest. He offered himself to the Father. So he is 
not only the victim, the Lamb of God, but he is also the offerer. He is the priest that officiates, as it were, at this sacrifice on Calvary. And he uh, tears down the wall of separation between man and God, and we become one with God, you see. And the wrath of God is lifted from our life, and uh, our sins are forgiven. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, uh, we read in Hebrews. And Paul says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So it's the shed blood that meets our need, our religious need, of redeeming, delivering ourselves from the sorrow and pain of death and hell. So religion is involved in joy, blessedness, as over against pain and sorrow. Pain and sorrow is the fruits of sin, of rebellion, of separation from God. Joy, blessedness are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. They are the fruits of the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Praise his holy name. Uh, now, Christian believers uh, hear about this in messages, in sermons. Uh, in fact, most of us think of Jesus as only being involved in this particular aspect of our need. We go to church, why? To hear about Jesus, the Lamb of God, that taketh away the sin of the world, you see. But, my beloved, Jesus is not only the Lamb of God, you see. When we stop there, we're not really acknowledging the sovereignty of Jesus Christ in the totality of the world. Jesus is also Number two here, Logos of God. Now, I'd like to turn to John chapter 1. If you have your Bibles with you, you may join me. And we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, in this context, Jesus is something more than the Lamb of God. He is the Logos of God. Now, where does this term Logos come from? Here it is. It is the original Greek word. It is the Greek term. Please note this. Pay attention to this. Very, very crucial. Logos is the original Greek term for word. And I like to say that there is no translation in the New Testament more misleading, more erroneous than right here. Probably you've never heard this from anybody. Never heard this before. But you listen to me right now. That this is an inaccurate translation. And I'm sorry to see that in all the new renderings of the Bible, this remains word. Logos is more than word. Logos is a Greek term that means, here it is, logic, reason, intelligence, rationality. 
my wisdom. So in the beginning was not the word. Oh no. God is a spirit. He doesn't have a mouth to talk. He doesn't have to talk. But he has a logos. I'd like to believe that. That God is a logical God. How many of you would like to believe that God is a logical God? Praise the Lord. Please turn cassette tape over now for the completion of this message. Well, if you don't keep the term logos here, then you're, you're missing the whole thing. And when you understand Jesus as the logos, then you understand him as a cosmic principle also in the world. That if God created the world, then he's involved in the structure of the physical world and not only you know related to the pulpit or to the altar in church that jesus is all in all well how can he be all in all when you're keeping him inside the church you see the church building the temple the pulpit or the communion service jesus is vaster than that he god created the world through the logos it's right here and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. That's the Greek original. I don't like by him. It's through him. Via Logos. Which means through the Logos. He's the instrumentality. Not the agent. He's the instrumentality of creation. Well, I don't know what that means, frankly. Because it's the mystery of creation. It's it transcends human comprehension that God created this physical world, the universe, through the Logos, the second person of the Trinity. I just take it and I bow to this mystery, what it means. It's the, the, the uh, workings of the inner life of the Trinity. And I cannot understand it all. I don't have all the answers. And without him was not anything made that was made. Very, very basic and significant. And Jesus Christ is not only the instrumentality of creation, but the world is sustained in him. We read that in Colossians 2, 3. If you'd like to look at it. We have there another uh, teaching on how Jesus is related to the cosmos, to the, to the physical world. This is most significant. He is before all things. This is chapter 1, uh, ch uh, verse 17. And he is before all things, and through him all things consist. The Greek word is synechi, which means to keep together. So the power that keeps the world together is the internal logos of God. And in verse 16 we read, For through him were all things created. Uh-huh. Same teaching here, same revealed truth. 
Now, what does it mean? I don't understand, but it's a basic teaching and revealed truth that through the Logos, all things were created. Now, before the Logos became flesh, the second person of the Holy Trinity is the Son of God, the Logos. He he's not Jesus Christ in the flesh yet. It was when he was born of the Virgin Mary that the Logos became flesh and took on the name Jesus Christ, you see, became man. But prior to the Incarnation, he is the Logos. I just love that word. And a Christian believer is Logos-like. You know what that means? Logical. Don't you like to be logical people? Praise the Lord. You know what it means to be a child of God, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? It means to be logical, sensible. Jesus makes us rational people. So whatever we do, we do it rationally because God is essentially a rational being because of the second person. You see how much we've missed by mistranslating logos? We forgot the whole idea that God is rational. I don't have time to get into this, but this makes a beautiful message. How in the subsequent history of the Christian church, uh, Christians separated Jesus Christ from everything that was rational. And in the cause, supposedly, of Jesus Christ, we made, you know, religion and uh, gospel something uh, over and beyond reason, and unrelated totally with reason. But this is why Jesus is the answer to, the, to man's quest for understanding the world and understanding himself and his cognitive uh, processes. How does man understand what's the secret of his cognitive powers? There were philosophers at one time in Germany and France that denied that man can actually contact reality. That what we see out here is not reality. But it's just uh, the fabrication of certain categories that we have in our mind, like Kant would say. So this is how far Western man went in separating Jesus Christ from, from philosophy. But Jesus Christ is the answer to man's philosophical and intellectual quest. And uh, we read in Paul, But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So Jesus is the power of God primary to the Jews, but to the Greeks he's primary the wisdom of God. And John is saying in his gospel, You Greeks who have been searching and speculating for centuries, on the rational principle of the universe, on Logos, because this was the basic category of Greek thought for many, many centuries. Well, here he is. Uh, he is disclosed, and the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. So, Jesus Christ is involved in the universe today. And the result of separating the Logos from science has been godless science. Don't you see? And the Christian church has lived with this. And we've kind of adjusted. And we've said, well, we've got our church over here. All the believers step over on this side. Over here, that science, well, they're lost. it's a lost cause. You know, these scientists, science and has nothing to do with God. In fact, there are people today that condemn science as being of Satan. 
Why should we go to the moon? Some pious people say that's satanic. Why, God doesn't want us to go that far. Science is God's gift, is it not? Knowledge is God's gift. God doesn't want to keep us ignorant in ignorance. He wants us to develop fully in mind, in heart, in soul. He wants us to grow both spiritually and intellectually for the full man because we are in the image of God. And God wants to share his perfect knowledge with us. You've heard of the gift of knowledge endowed by the Holy Spirit. Well, it's sharing in God's knowledge, which, of course, in that case, is a supernatural gift. But everything is from God, whether it's natural or supernatural. Isn't that right? Can we say that it's only the supernatural that's of God? Well, the natural, well, I don't know, it might be from the devil. Well, no, because God created this universe. He created us with the capacity to understand the universe, to grow, and to unfold in the fullness of our basic human nature. So, as a result of forgetting that Jesus is the Logos, we have suffered, not only as a church, but as a civilization, as humanity. And this is one reason why I kind of took the name Logos for my magazine that I put out, Logos magazine. I find it such a fascinating term, and it, it, it just uh, brings to mind the fullness of truth in Jesus Christ. And I plead with you from now on, whenever you read the first chapter of John, say, read it, in the beginning was the Logos, not word. Jesus Christ is more than a printed or spoken word. Of course, that term can be rendered as word in other contexts. But in this context, uh, with a capital L, capital W, it's, um, it's the person of Jesus Christ. It's not what, he, what comes from the mouth of Jesus, but it is the source. This is why in Revelation we read, and the name by which he is called is the Logos of God. Again, where the writer uh, of uh, the Revelation depicts Jesus sitting on a white horse. And the name by which he is called is the Logos of God. Now, in Matthew 23, 10, if you'd like to turn there, Jesus says, let no man be called, let no man be called. The Greek word is kathiitis. Kathiitis. Isestin kathiitisimon Christos. That's the Greek. Midis tripito kathiitis. Is estin o kathiitisimon Christos. Let no one be called kathiitis. Now that word kathiitis, you know what that means in the modern Greek? It means professor. Well, that points to the magisterial office of Jesus Christ. That's Jesus there as a teacher. As a master, if you please, as a professor. And this fits in also uh, with the second uh, aspect of truth in Jesus Christ. 
that Jesus is not only the Lamb of God, not only the High Priest, but he's also the teacher. He instructs. He's the professor par excellence. And he's, he established his own university, his own school. And that school is none other than what? The church. In which rests the wisdom from God. So, all of education uh, should come under the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. All of education. But one of the tragedies in our modern world today is the separation between education and uh, faith, religion, the church. And what we are faced with today is this divorce between religion and government, religion and the school. Don't you see how Satan has been contending for lordship in the world today, in how in the end time his influence and control are, are spreading, and not only in those two areas, but also in the area of the church and religion. This is the point of the whole thing that I'm trying to bring out this morning to you. I'm not trying to uh, impress you with theological knowledge. But what I'm trying to say is that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is aiming and seeking to make Jesus Christ come alive and to restore his lordship and sovereignty over the totality of human existence. And that when Jesus Christ will come again to set his kingdom upon earth, this is the kind of kingdom he's going to have. This is the kind of a Lord. He's going to be in charge of all three aspects. What failed to happen because of Adam's disobedience Jesus will rectify and restore upon his second coming during the millennium. Do you ever wonder what it's going to be like when Jesus will be on earth? Well, this is just the picture. Science will be there, but it's going to be under God's control. It will be to his glory. It will not be an end in itself. Today, science is an end in itself. And we talk about godless science, don't we? And we talk how godless science is leading mankind to the brink of disaster and of a nuclear holocaust. And of course, science is leading us. This is the plan of Satan to destroy the world. And he's bringing all these three institutions together in his master plan to destroy humanity by taking away from Christ what belongs to him. And he takes away. Why? Because we give it to him. Man surrenders himself to Satan, and Satan exercises that control. Even in the church today, we find liberalism. We find Satan making inroads. We find the gospel not being taught. We find substitutes for Jesus Christ. This is the plan of Satan. Satan is setting up substitutes. He is the primary substitute to see. The Antichrist will be the, the substitute for Christ. That's what anti means. You know what anti means? It means not only against, 
Not, it would also mean instead of. So the dictator would be instead of Christ in world government. In, in science, science has become deified. Don't you see? It's, it's a new idolatry. And instead of science worshiping and bowing its knee to the Son of the living God, through whom the world was made and in whom the world is sustained, science bends its knee to its top. And it creates a new idolatry. It's a statement word. But the church and Christian believers have surrendered science. They say, no, I don't have time to get to that. But it's a very intriguing area. You've heard of the age of reason, haven't you? Some of you that read some history. The age of faith followed by the age of reason. How in the West, the Western church uh, dominated science. Now you see, this is also the work of Satan at work. Because in the beginning when the church was established, these three areas were coming under the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. There was a beginning of the commitment and subjection of these three institutions. Just go back into your history a little bit. It's very interesting. Church, the church was under the, the sovereignty of Jesus Christ for uh, a number of centuries. The church was united. There was no need for an ecumenical movement at that time. No need for a charismatic renewal for several centuries. There was what was called the One Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. And you'd go from one town to another and be the same church. They wouldn't say, what are you? What denomination do you belong to? It wasn't such a question. For almost a thousand years, you forget that. We forget it. We don't think it was possible. We think it was inconceivable that there could have been a time when people wouldn't ask one another what denomination we belong to. You'd go from Rome to Antioch, and it would be the same faith, the same church. You'd go from Jerusalem to Alexandria, it'd be the same faith. You'd go from Spain to Constantinople, it would be the same church. I'm not saying that it was a perfect church, but the unity was perfect, but it was intact at least. There wasn't a Roman Catholic church or a Protestant church. There was one Holy Catholic and Apostolic church. But don't you see, at the time of the division of the church, that's when Satan began to make inroads in the church. He was setting up substitutes. I don't want to criticize any church, but vicars of Christ. You see, now the Eastern Church repudiated any idea of substitution of Jesus Christ. The sovereignty of Christ was intact in the Eastern Orthodox Church. In fact, they kept the Eastern Orthodox Church kept the Logos theology. There was no tension between reason and faith. You see, if we had always believed that Jesus was the Logos, we wouldn't wonder, well, how do you relate faith and reason? We surrendered, don't you see, reason to Satan. And that was when the church in the West took over education, dominated it, and then there was that final break, the revolt, the upheaval, in this, what, after the Reformation, 16th century. When philosophy became secular, it was inconceivable to have any knowledge secular until that time. Everything was under the, the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. But for the first time, science became secular, which meant nothing to do with God. Well, that's the beginning of the end. 
that was a new step in the master plan of Satan to dominate the world. Government, my beloved, was under the sovereignty of Jesus Christ for a while. But it didn't last long. And I just want to, I don't have time to get into this. It's, it's a very vast field. When Constantine the Emperor became Christian, I'm not saying that he was a born-again believer, you know, uh, from the very beginning. But it is said he received Jesus Christ before he died, and he died in a state of rebirth, regeneration. But he, he brought a cessation to the persecutions against Christians for 300 years. And he brought that institution of government under the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. It was a gradual thing. It wasn't right away. There was a time when the emperor of Constantinople had an empty throne next to his throne. And on that throne, he had an opal, open book of the four Gospels. And when visitors would come by, they'd ask, what's that throne for? And the emperor would say, that throne is for the real emperor, Jesus Christ. Now imagine uh, President Nixon or President uh, Ford saying that in Congress of having some seat there vacant with the book of the Gospels open. I'm not saying that they were all saints in those days. I'm talking about the 4th century. No, but they were under conviction. They knew the difference between obedience and disobedience. I'm not saying that it was a kingdom of righteousness. There were a lot of crimes committed, that's true, in the name of religion. But at least they knew that they were crimes. Whereas today, we've blunted the contrast between good and evil. Today there's license. It was a time when, when emperors would, re, would go into monasteries and spend the rest of their lives in repentance and tears, contrition for their crimes. There was an awareness of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in spite of the imperfect nature of society to come. This is what we lack today. The acknowledgement, a public acknowledgement, a universal acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is the Lord in government. It's the secular world that we're living in. Well, this was not ours. How did we get that way? It's the progress of Satan's master plan. And it's coming to a head now, isn't it? In the end times. It's because Christian believers themselves have surrendered this authority. And mistakes that were committed by churchmen who wanted to dominate both science and government. All of these institutions are answerable to Jesus Christ, not one to another. You, you follow me? A minister here, a bishop, whatever you want to call him, an archbishop, a pastor, whatever you call him in your church, He's answerable to God, not to anybody, not to the president or the king or to a scientist. The scientist is not answerable to the bishop or the pastor or to some synod. He's answerable to Jesus Christ directly. The same thing with the king. There was a time when the king and the government was considered as a reflection of the church. Someone uh, compared the government to the moon and the church to the sun, that the government takes its authority from the church. Well, that's, that's 
giving in to Satan's plot. The government is answerable to Jesus Christ in the direct line. Immediately. All three institutions. This is the way the millennium is going to be. And it started working that way in the beginning of Christian history. But it failed. Because of disobedience. Because of apostasy. And because Satan got in there. And he set up substitutes. And even today, we find these substitutes established and recognized. But thank God for the end time outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is preparing the world and is offering himself to those who are ready to repent, to receive him receive the precious gift of the Holy Spirit. And that God has his plan, his master plan, for the last time, end times, at the close of the age. But the Lord is showing me in his Holy Spirit, as I study these, as I study his word, that if we say that Jesus is the Lord, we've got to mean it in the inclusive and universal and comprehensive sense of the word. He's the Lord of the universe in these three aspects. And God is at work, even though Satan is unleashing his fury in these last days. Isaiah prophesies, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against him. And that's what's going on today. Praise the Lord. Jesus has the victory in all three dimensions of human existence. And Jesus is working through his Holy Spirit to cast down Satan's kingdom. And the Holy Spirit is lifting up Jesus and leading believers to recognize him as the Lord. And that, that he might become preeminent, preeminent uh, in all areas of human life. Jesus has the preeminence. How many of you can say amen to that? Jesus is the Lord. How many can say amen to that? Let's all say Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. The Lord said, to me has been given all authority in heaven and earth. Praise his holy name. And he's coming back to exercise the authority that the Father has given him. In totality. I just can't wait to see Jesus come back. To see him revealed and made manifest. In his fullness. In the plenitude of the truth. Which is Jesus Christ who said, I am the truth. It's so refreshing. To me at least to see Jesus. As this all embracing truth. In the world today. I can relate that to God's plan for the world. That things are not just moving along fortuitously, but there is God's intelligent plan at work. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's just stand up and praise the Lord. Yes, Heavenly Father.
we just bow to you this morning. We thank you for your word, Lord, for your enlightened Holy Spirit. Teach us, Lord, to bow our knee to Jesus as the Lord, that we might confess him with our mouth as the Lord, the glory of God the Father, from now on to years. Train us, Lord, in bending our knee to you, subjecting our lives to you. In seeing you, Lord, in control and authority over all the world. We just worship you this morning. We praise you, Lord. We look to you, we behold you, Lord. As the King of Kings, as the Logos of God, as the reason of God, in dwelling in the world, especially in primarily dwelling in our hearts. We thank you for the, the gift of thy Holy Spirit, that it's quickening our own spirits, Lord, making you come alive. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you. Glory. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just praise the Lord. 